Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. There are so many aspects of my job that I love. First of all, I'm a pastor, so I only work on Sunday morning. How cool is that, you know? I, I actually had people say that to me. It's like, yeah, something like that, plus a couple other days, yeah. I do. I, I love pastoring. I love being a part of a church, see what God's doing there. And uh, so many of the parts of the job are, are just so much fun. Uh, I love weddings. Being a part of a wedding is such an amazing thing. Uh, I received a gift recently. It's a photo of uh, myself with three couples, and it's uh, two brothers and sister, sisters, uh, sister there, and I was able to marry all those kids. And it was, it was really fun to get that picture that uh, through a family, through weddings, you can do a lot. I love it. I love all the aspects of it. Premarital counseling is so much fun because you got this young, starry-eyed couple, this guy and this gal looking at each other and they're just, you know, they're just excited. And I tell them up front, you know, my job is to convince you that you don't belong together. And if I fail, I'll marry you, <laughs> um, you know, because, you know, let's just be honest when we're young, we're dumb and stupid sometimes. And we, we just don't see the problems. Well, it's good in premarital counseling to say, these are our differences. This is how you think. This is how you think. So we're going to have conflicts. So let's talk about how that works. You got to know that because you got to go in with your eyes wide open. Right. And uh, so I love I love that. I love the planning of the ceremony, trying to personalize it to the couple. I love the aspect of getting there and being dressed up and having the beautiful bride, the handsome, uh, you know, groom, tuxedos and dresses and the flower kids and the girls with the dresses that just adorable little guys that pick their nose during the service. It's so awesome. They're just, it's beautiful. Weddings, you just can't fail at a wedding. They're so great. I love weddings. Um, I get to do four of them this summer. So I'm, I, you know, doing premarital counseling and walking through that process. So I get to marry four couples. I'm really excited about that. I love baby dedications. Baby dedications are great. First of all, I love babies. They're just awesome. And uh, anytime there's a baby I see, I stop and I just kind of, you know, ooh and all over it. Got to see some friends have their baby out there and at the connect area, just, just watching this little baby, you know, gums all out, just gnawing away at something. Babies are amazing. They're the future. And when I can come alongside a mom or a dad and say, okay, you want to dedicate this son or daughter to the Lord. What that means is that you have to dedicate yourself to God first. That's what Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 6. And then as we follow God and give him all of our heart, then we transfer that to our children everywhere we go, whatever we do. But one of the parts of ministry as a pastor that I, I don't uh, just really enjoy, but it's a part that has this bittersweet series in it, are funerals. 
um, you know, I do a lot of funerals and uh, sometimes funerals in the community. Uh, we open up our doors to anybody that has a need and we'll do them for people we don't even know. Uh, but oftentimes I'm asked to do funerals of people that have been at Sunrise a long time or family members. And when I know the person and know their story, it's just a joy to be able to tell that story. But there's still that ache when someone passes away. I was just praying with the gal after this last service whose mom passed away this week and there's just a sense of loss and there's a there's a component in the in the the funeral or the memorial service even when someone didn't know the lord that there are opportunities in that but it's not my favorite thing to do you know it's like going to the hospital i do it to visit people but i'm a little uncomfortable there you know um and, and there are parts of that that I think to myself, you know, it, it, it's really, it's really truly something that's a part of our reality. We live, we get sick, we get better, we die. It's part of what we are. But it still is a reminder that sin is in the world today and still wreaking havoc on us. Even though Jesus has gone to a cross, he was buried, resurrected, he has that victory. Um, we still will experience death in this life and then the hope and the reality of a future resurrection. Um, my wife uh, called me on Thursday. I was driving back into town after something to go to a meeting. And she let me know that uh, Jason died. Jason Nightingale was a family friend, just an amazing man. For 45 plus years, uh, did God's ministry. Uh, he came to Christ. Uh, uh, he was doing Broadway, a lot of plays, a big booming voice, a massive giant of a man, burly beard, uh, kind of Grizzly Adams without the bear, you know. And, um, and so just a wonderful follower of Jesus. God softened his heart. Well, he fell in love with the Bible, the word of God, so much to the point where he started memorizing large portions of the Bible and began delivering that and started a ministry called Word Sower. And, and it was amazing to see what Jason could do. I remember uh, probably about 1998, 99, I had just transitioned from youth pastor to senior pastor here. And I went with our youth over to Winter Youth Celebration in Portland at the Red Lion and where Jason was presenting. And so 1,500 young people were sitting in that ballroom with their Bibles open to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And Jason got up there and the stage went dark and the light went on. And from memory, without fail, he quoted the book of Revelation. And I'll tell you, I've never seen 1,500 young people quiet for an hour and a half. It was amazing. And Jason did that, many books of the Bible. He did a lot of ministry work, trained pastors. He was a part of orphanages. He worked in Cuba. He worked in Haiti. He worked in Cameroon, in, in Africa, in India. And he had a lot of pastors and a lot of support. He just loved Jesus and loved people. And yet he passed away. Went on the operating table and never, never recovered from that. And, you know, you think it's, it's that's, that's not fair because, you know, he was doing so much for the kingdom of God. Well, this next Saturday coming up, my wife and I are driving down to Salem to the church where he attended. My best friend, Tim, from college, he's, he was his pastor and we're going to go to his service. My mother and father-in-law are driving up because they were dear, dear family friends and supporters of Jason and his wife, Sharon. We're going to go to his, his funeral, his memorial service. And it will be bittersweet. Be a lot of stories. It will be a lot of people that he impacted. But what would be absolutely bizarre is if in the middle of this service, when my friend Tim is preaching, and we're all remembering Jason, we've seen a video, we've heard some stories. If the door, the back of the auditorium opened up, if Jason were to walk down and say, hey, I'm back to give you a message. <laughs> Wouldn't that be kind of, that would be really kind of weird, right? Well, that's the feeling that we should feel 
with the text of scripture we're going to look at today. Because as we saw, Jesus went to a cross and died. We saw last week, he rose again, empty tomb. He appeared to Mary, the, the, the women there. He said, go tell the brothers, the disciples to go to Galilee where I will come and join you. And that's what we find. Now you think about this before we get to the text, you know, the reality for us is if we could insert ourselves in the story, we would see that they were just normal everyday people. Go back to the very beginning of Matthew. We have a bunch of fishermen. What do they do? They're fishing. That's their business. That's their livelihood. And James and John are with their dad, Zebedee, and they're in the boat and they've had this great catch of fish. And Jesus walks along the shore of Galilee and he looks at them and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop everything. They say goodbye to their dad. They say goodbye to that future business. And then they follow Jesus. Peter, Andrew, same thing. They were fishermen. They dropped their catch of fish and they followed Jesus. And then a little bit later, Jesus is ministering into Capernaum. That's the capital city there, right along the Galilee area. Very important juncture of, of both Gentile and Jew. And there's a guy sitting at a booth and he's collecting taxes. Quite powerful. Uh, quite rich. He has the Roman government to back him, but he's a Jew that's turned against his own people. And now he's freely extorting his folks. He's a criminal. And Jesus walks up to that tax collecting booth and says to Matthew, his name is Levi, follow me. And Matthew just gets up, leaves everything and follows Jesus. And all along the journey, if we're a part of this now, We've left whatever we were hoping for for our future, whatever we had planned for our lives, because somebody greater showed up, somebody called Jesus. And somewhere in our hearts, we hoped that he was the Messiah. And so we started to follow him and we saw him teach, amazing teaching, opening up the Bible, the Old Testament, revealing the truth of it, explaining it for our day, teaching us about his kingdom what it's like to be a part of the kingdom, inviting us into his kingdom through repentance and to baptism. And we follow him and we hear these words and we're just in awe of this. And then we see him do the miraculous. We see him heal people that are sick. We see him cast out demons. We see him love people, feed people, show extended grace and mercy to the least, the last, and the lost. We even see him raise the dead. And so we are fully convinced now along the journey that he is indeed the Messiah, the long-awaited king of the Jews, and we will see God's kingdom restored on the earth. And so on one of the journeys to Jerusalem, it's our last one, we come around and we see Jesus raise a friend of Jesus, Lazarus, Mary and Martha are there, and Martha says, you know, Jesus, I've always believed in you, and that furthers our faith because if a guy can raise the dead, nothing is impossible. And he comes into the city, and the people are so excited, the crowds are there for Passover, and they They wave their palm branches and they throw their coats down and Jesus rides in on this donkey and we are part of the parade and we just know that this is it. This is going to be the time when the kingdom comes to the earth and we see him go into the temple and he just just absolutely decimates all the money uh, laundering and the buying and selling of those you know, peripheral things right in the temple. He cleans house and he starts to teach. And as the days go by, we see the religious leaders get more and more angry with Jesus. And we wonder what's going to happen. How is he going to fight? 
Well, how is he going to finally take over? The Romans are there. The Romans are tense because it's Passover. And anytime you gather tens of thousands of Jews in an area as occupied people, the zealots are there and they're going to grab the sword. And so the Romans are just in full force right there. And so how is Jesus going to do this? How is he going to overthrow the religious leaders? How is he going to overthrow Rome? How is he going to finally, through the sword or some miraculous way, finally set up his kingdom? Because we've been waiting. We're going to sit on thrones. We're going to be a part of this kingdom. We're going to be judging. Jesus has already told us all this. And then he gathers us in a room and he shares a meal with us. And he starts to tell us something that doesn't make any sense at all. I know he said it before, but now he's really saying it. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go away. I'm going to be offered up. I'm going to die. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, one of us, Peter says, you know, God forbid, you know, that would happen to you. And Jesus gets down and washes our feet, a humble servant. And we go up to the garden the place where we were sleeping every night in Gethsemane. And he gathers a few of us and said, why don't you come and pray with me? And so we gather close to Jesus. He walks further. We pray. We fall asleep, you know, because we're tired. We don't get it. And all of a sudden, we wake up in the hustle and bustle. There are a bunch of temple guards all around. They're the high priests, the people that are there. And now they've captured Jesus. And it's like, how can Jesus be captured in the story, it's great. One of the gospel writers says that when, when the temple guard, you know, says, are you, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. Those amazing words that Moses heard from the bush in Exodus 3. I am. The guard, the people just like are blown back. It's like a great sci-fi movie. They're just blasted back. It's like Jesus can do anything. And yet he allows himself to be captured. And he allows himself to be carted off. And we're panicked. We just scatter like sheep without a shepherd. And so we wonder what's going on. We surround ourselves with each other in comfort. And a couple of us go to the courtyard and we warm ourselves by the fire. And we look up and we see Jesus in a mock trial. And this little girl comes up and asks us, aren't you one of those guys? We're like, no, I'm not. We're afraid. We're afraid of a little servant girl. Somebody says, oh, you sound like a Galilean. We're like, no, not, not him. And he goes, I know, I saw you. And we start cussing them out. There's no way I'm a part of that guy. And all of a sudden, everything's starting to fall into place. We're running away from Jesus, the one that saved us, the one that drew us to himself. And we don't know what to do. And then we go back to our homes and then he's in the tomb and everything's gone. It's just like darkness has descended. What was the hope? What are we all about? And now we're in this place where a couple of our women have gone out and they've run out. They've run back. They said, we were going to go anoint the body. We went there. The tomb was empty. And the angels said that he was gone, risen. And we didn't believe it. But we come back and all of a sudden Jesus appears to us and he says, go tell my brothers to leave. And we don't quite get it. And some of us doubt and Jesus shows up in the middle and it's just this crazy moment where we then wonder is this how it was all supposed to be because it just doesn't make sense he wasn't supposed to die and rise again he was supposed to open his kingdom well that's how we would have felt that's where we would be in the story as Matthew closes his book Matthew had a purpose a Jew writing to Jews explaining how Jesus is the king of the Jews the Messiah and how we could welcome the king into our lives, into our heart, into our existence and follow him. But it wasn't the story that Matthew was expecting. But it's the story that Matthew got and the story that happened. And so he wrote it down. And we get to read it now 2,000 years later. So let's open Matthew, the last chapter, the last few verses. Matthew 28, verses 16 on. And we close our book of Matthew. A year and a half we've been walking through with Matthew's words. 
Next week, we're going to do a really cool review. Uh, You don't want to miss this. It's going to be great. Very visual telling of the story. And then we're going to jump into the book of Psalms. So this is what we see in Matthew uh, chapter 28. Uh, We're at the end. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. Now, 11 disciples, uh, he's speaking proper about those ones that are called apostles, but there are probably other followers along with this. But, you know, we asked the question 11, I thought there were 12. Uh, Maybe six months or a year ago, we were driving to church on Saturday night as a family. And my oldest son, Josiah, you know, he said, "Um, Dad, why didn't Judas believe? It's like, whew, that's a good question. I said, I don't know. You think about it. Judas experienced all the same teaching that everybody else experienced. And yet it didn't sink deep in his heart, deep enough to change him. Judas saw all the same miracles of Jesus, even raising people from the dead. I mean, hey, if I could do that, funerals would be a whole lot more enjoyable. Can you imagine that? I mean, Jesus enjoyed weddings. He made wine for people. That, if I had that, like show up, Mary Beth goes, hey, we didn't bring a gift. That's okay. I'll grab a water bottle and we'll give him the best wine. That'd be awesome, right? I'd, I'd do a lot more weddings. I guarantee that in wine country. Um, he, he, children loved him, hung around with him. He prayed and blessed them. But he raised the dead. We, we've seen all that. But it's, it's, it, for some reason, Judas didn't get it. And so I was just talking with my boys about this. And I said, you know, I think it's probably the reality for some churchgoers. I don't know how many. Uh, I would never call them Judas, but in the same reality, they hear the same stories. They see the same miracles. They see all that goes on, just like the person seated next to them. But it's not going to sink deep enough into their heart for them to believe. It's possible to go to church all your life and never be a follower of Jesus. Because you're not going to really truly give up the leadership of your life. You're going to go to church and experience a lot of the benefits, but you're not going to let go of control. And Jesus is all or nothing when it comes to that. So they go up to Galilee where the whole thing started. And they go to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. We don't know where that is, but there's a lot of hills up there, mountains. When they saw him, they worshipped him. That's a great word, worship. We like to think of it as singing songs and things like that. But in the biblical sense... From the Old Testament, the word worship means this. When a camel would get down on his or her knees, the knee would bend. And when the knee was bent, that word was where the word worship came from. To bend your knee. It's a great one. That's why in Psalm 95 it says, come let us worship. Let us bow down before the Lord our God our maker. Because that's what worship is. Bowing down, submitting yourself prostrating yourself, laying yourself down, putting yourself down and saying he's better, he's greater. So some worship, maybe they fell on their knees. I don't know. I think I'd fall on my face if Jesus showed up after the dead, right? Uh, But some of them doubted. I love that. I love that Matthew includes that. One of the the great truths about the gospel writers is they include the embarrassing things. Uh, If they were going to write a fiction about how awesome they were and how they were victorious, they wouldn't write the gospels, okay? Because the gospels reveal... That Larry, Curly, Moe were stooges, okay? The, the, Peter, James, and John, they reveal the, the weaknesses, the wrinkles, the cracks, the creases in these guys' and gals' lives. And it's the embarrassment factor. Some of them doubted. Some weren't quite sure. And then Jesus stands up and he speaks these words. Jesus came and told his disciples, 
I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Matthew puts his pen down and he's finished. He says, that's it. That's all you need to know about Jesus to believe in him as Messiah, as Christ, as King, as the one anointed by God to save us from our sins. I go to uh, spend a lot of time with pastors. I hang out with pastors. I like pastors, but got to be honest, a lot of pastors are weird. And, um, you know, uh, even some on our staff, but I won't point out their names. Um, but, um, you know, the truth is when I hang out with pastors, or I coach pastors or I train pastors, whether here on the phone or in, in you know, overseas, you know, at some moment I'll spend some time around a meal usually and I'll just kind of ask the question. So tell me about your church or your churches. Um, what are you known for? You know, what, what, what do you do in your community? Uh, what is your focus? What is your purpose? And, and I always get these wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, pastors, this is like one of the first things they'll say. They'll get their deep voice on, their church voice. Like, well, our church exists to glorify God. I'm like... Wow, that sounds cool, you know? It's like praying in King James right there, you know? It's like, got to be good, you know? You just slip into a different voice, you know? Glorify God. That's awesome. How can you say that's bad? That's not bad. It's great. And people go, no, no, no. Our church is to reach the lost for Jesus. I'm like, that's great. That's an evangelist right there. I love it. There's not, that's good. That's nothing wrong with that. Our, no, no, no. Our church is to build believers in their faith. We want the believers to go out and be strong in their faith. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue about that, right? And you can just listen to all these stories. And then, then I ask this question. Well, did Jesus ever tell us what we should do? And they're like, um, let me take a bite of soup, you know, so whatever. It's like, yeah, I think he did. In fact, you know what he told us? Those are all good things. But that's not the main thing. That's not the purpose. The purpose of why we're here is this, to make disciples. To make disciples. That's what Jesus called us to do. To make disciples. Now, uh, I had a, a, a seminary professor, he, he, theologian, writer of commentaries, a brilliant guy. He was explaining this and he said, you know, of course, in, in the original language, the word make isn't there. We put that in because that's the implication there. But it's just literally word, the word disciple people. Matthew writes twice about the Pharisees. They had disciples as well. They discipled people. He said, well, the best way to understand this is imagine you're from Kentucky and... Um, you're going to learn someone to Jesus. He goes, that works in Kentucky, doesn't work anywhere else in the contiguous United States. Okay, if you're from Kentucky, I apologize for that. Um, that you're from Kentucky, I, I apologize. Um, and I, my relatives are from Kentucky, so I can say that. Uh, they were like hillbillies. So, um, and, and so the idea is you're going to learn someone to Jesus. Doesn't work. In the grammatical sense, but it works in the theological sense, in the practical sense. You're going to take what you've learned, what you've heard, what you've received, and you're going to help somebody else learn and hear it and receive it as well. You're going to disciple someone. A disciple was someone who was a follower. He was or she was a learner or a student. And there was always a teacher that walked along and that disciple followed the teacher and the teacher transferred not just the knowledge not just the experience, but the very heartbeat of the teacher or rabbi to the disciple so that 
that disciple could go out and do that and propagate the message of the master. That was the whole thing. That's exactly what they did. And so it was a very real thing. A couple times ago, my wife and I were in Israel and we were at the temple mount, at the temple steps. And so those southern steps are where Jesus did a lot of teaching. And uh, I had recorded a segment for the uh, Gospel of John we were doing a couple years ago. And it was so cool because just at that time, this teacher, this teacher, which would be a rabbi, walks up. And he's got all these little students, these elementary students, and he sits them at the temple steps and he starts teaching in Hebrew to these. I'm like, that's awesome because that's the picture of Jesus on the temple steps teaching his students, his disciples. That's what Jesus said. I now commission you to make disciples. Now, churches are known for a lot of things, and, and so I'll be harsh on American churches because I'm a part of this system and I've been a part of churches and I've seen a lot of churches, but the reality is, most churches, I say this, most churches are not known for making disciples. Most churches are known for great worship, great teaching, great fellowship, potlucks, great activities, great work in their communities. But if you don't make disciples, you can do all the rest of that and forget the main point. But part of the struggle is, is that even if you as a pastor or a leader want to do this, by and large, people have been conditioned in our culture to be consumers, right? We know what that's all about. We are consumers. We consume. We live in a rich, prosperous country. We make a lot of money on income. Even if you're at poverty level, you're richer than a lot of the world. And so we have so much and we expect so much and we expect the newer and the brighter and the shinier, the faster, we, the bigger we get those things. I know all that. I'm a part of that system too. I wrestle with that. I struggle with that as well in my heart. And we discard things that are perfectly good to grab things that are better, or at least they're better for that moment and shinier. And then after a day or a week or a year, they're not shiny anymore. And we go after another one. That's what we do in our world. That, that's, we have businesses, industries. We have restaurants. I like restaurants. I like to eat. Okay. I like to go to restaurants. They're here to serve me the food I want. If they don't get it, I don't tip or I go somewhere else. Right. We're consumers. We, we, we buy cars and we don't like that dealer. We go to that dealer. If that salesperson's not good, we go to this one. And if we don't like someone immensely, we put on Yelp and we criticize them, right? Call the Better Business Bureau because we want people to know that our expectations were not met because we're important, <laughs> right? Everything about us. We have multiple banks. We have schools. People move. God, I want my kid going to that school. I want to go to this school because they'll get a better teacher, better education. We're consumers. I know these things are important. We get bigger houses. Go to certain realtors. We, we want something. We, we go and we get it. And then we come to church. And my friends, I tell you this, we just bring that same heart into church. And we say, I, I, I like the worship at this church. It, uh, it lifts my heart up to God. And that's fine. You know, I feel like I connect to God. You know, I can express my praise to God. And I can just be exuberant in my praise to God. And I like that. I want to go because I like the worship leader. But if they change the worship leader, I'm leaving to go to another church that has the worship I like. It happens all the time. I like the teacher. I like the preacher. I like the pastor. I like that because I like getting the word of God. Oh, he teaches the deep meat of God's word. And if not, we go find someone that kind of, you know, suits our fancy. I like this church because they're doing this. The same thing. I, I, I'll leave this church because I don't like children's ministry. They painted the rooms the wrong color. That's an abomination under the Lord somewhere in Leviticus or Hezekiah. And, um, you know, it's like there. And it's like, ugh, we do that. 
And you go, but James, isn't it okay that I want to come to a comfortable church and sit in a comfortable chair and hear a comfortable sermon and sing some comfortable songs and go comfortably home? It's like, sure, go ahead. But that has nothing to do with what Jesus said. That's a great consumer thing. God bless America, right? But I'm telling you, Jesus called us to do something entirely different. And so if we build our churches around those things that meet all of our needs to make us feel warm and fed, we are missing out on the purpose of Jesus coming. And it's not his vision. He didn't envision a lot of churches dotting the landscape of just people going in and getting all their needs met. Oh, I want to be fed. I want to worship. I want to do this. Those are great things. Those are wonderful things. But what matters and the only thing that matters is this, is making disciples. And very few churches are known for making disciples. Very few churches are known for having a lot of disciples. And part of it is it's kind of confusing because we could say, well, I went through a 12-week class. It was a discipleship class. I went to Sunday school my whole life. Wasn't I discipled? Maybe, maybe not. But Jesus didn't leave any ambiguity, any cards on the table about this one. He told us exactly what he meant when he said to disciple people. He uses these three words. These are participles to go and to baptize and to teach. But the only verb, the only command, the imperative is to disciple people. And um, I'll I'll say it this way. Imagine, um, you know, my son, my youngest son, Seth, uh, comes and I go, Seth, I want you to clean your room. And he goes in, spends an hour. I walk in. And he moved a book from here to here. And I said, Seth, I told you to clean your room. He goes, I did. You weren't specific enough, Dad. That's that son, trust me. So I walk in, I go, Seth. Yeah, Dad. I want you to clean your room. I want you to clean out your closet. Fold all your clothes, put them up on the hangers. I want you to make your bed. And I want you to clean the floor of all the books and Legos. I just told him what I wanted him to do, which was clean the room, and I explained it. And now he's going to do it, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Okay. (laughs) He's probably going to find a book and lie there on the floor and read it. But, But I explained what I wanted. I said, I want you to clean your room, but you need to take care of the closet, you need to take care of the bed, and you need to take care of the floor. That's what I mean as your dad by clean the room. That's exactly what Jesus did. I want you to disciple people, make disciple of people. And here's how you do that. You go and then you baptize and then you teach. When you go and baptize and teach, you disciple someone. And so what that means is going is as you're going. It's the evangelism component. It's what we call at Sunrise connecting people in a relationship with God. You're helping people discover there's a God that loves them. You're being bold in your faith. You're sharing this message of Jesus. You're telling people about Jesus everywhere you go, at work, at home, your neighborhood and your business and your school and your activities, whatever it is, you're communicating the message of Jesus. And a lot of people go, I'm not called to do that. Yes, you are. But I'm not an evangelist. That's okay. We're all called to evangelize. No, I don't have the gift. Yeah, we're all called to show mercy, right? And some people have a gift of mercy. You can't go, I get to be a jerk because God didn't give me that gift. No, you don't get to be a jerk. You know, I don't give anything because I don't have the gift of giving. No, we're all supposed to give. I don't encourage anyone. Why? Because I don't have the gift of encouragement. See, that doesn't work that way, right? Some people are just better at it. Guaranteed. Luis is better at it than me, the gift of evangelism. But we are all called to go. And then we are seeing people come into this faith. Now, at Sunrise, we have a discipleship pathway. And we have a class to help you understand this so you could disciple other people. It's not discipling. It's 
helping you disciple others. And it's called Connect. We help you understand the gospel, what it means to respond to that, and what Sunrise is all about. And then you baptize. Baptize means, obviously, literally, to immerse underwater is the original meaning. To dunk people, to plunge people underwater. I shared this when we looked at John the Baptist baptizing. I had a couple things of water with dye in it. And I dipped the cloth in it and pulled it out. Now the dye changes the very color of the fabric. That's baptism. When you go underwater, which seems kind of weird, you know, if you watch these videos once a month we have of people being baptized, it's a symbol of identifying with Jesus. You're plunged under the water. Jesus died for our sins, who was buried. Then we come back out of the water. Jesus rose again. So we're saying, I, I signed up. I'm a follower of Jesus. I identify with Jesus. That's what baptism means. But the identification is more than that. It's about now, what does it mean to be this follower? So we have a grow class in our discipleship pathway, not just to teach you, but so then you can now teach other people, disciple other people. And this is what it means to read the Bible and to pray and to know what it means to be a follower, to have assurance of your faith, to be a part of living that out in the community because that's what these disciples had experienced with Jesus. And then finally, to teach these new disciples all the things that Jesus commanded. We have a serve class where we help you understand what it means to fall in love with Jesus as a servant because that's what he was. He was a servant and to live out those commands as a servant. And then finally, we have a lead class. We just taught it yesterday and it's about making disciples. What does it mean for you then to do that to other people? That's Sunrise Discipleship Pathway. If we do a ton of other stuff and miss that, we've missed everything. If you do a ton of stuff and miss that, you've missed everything. If you have tons of activity at Sunrise Church and yet you don't go, share your faith. If you don't baptize, bring people into the faith and help them incorporate their life around the faith of following Jesus and his church family. If you don't teach, give the people all they need to be like Jesus who is a servant. If you don't do that and you don't disciple people, You've done a lot of really cool activity, but you haven't done the only thing Jesus told us to do, and that is to disciple people. Now, I, I know it's a part of what we do. We, we come to church, and we're a part of this, and I get it. And a lot of us are at varying stages of that. I understand that. But I guess my question needs to just stop at this, number one and number two. Are you really a disciple? And if you are, are you discipling people? And I think those questions will answer themselves. I used to think like I would think a lot of people thought. I went to church, was a part of church, had church experience, and I prayed to receive Christ when I was 15 years old, December 1979. And I I became a follower of Jesus. But somewhere in my mind, I protected myself from like 110% commitment. You know what I mean? And so I imagined this. I imagined uh, all the church people all the Christians, all the people that pray to prayer, they're here and I'm in this circle. And there's some really important followers of Jesus here, like pastors and missionaries and teachers and whatever. And I'm not that. I'm not going to sign up for that. I'm not going to take that class. Because I, I, this is where I am. Maybe, maybe one day I'll get serious. I'll grow up and join that group. But I'm content to be in this group. Well, the shock of all shocks, my senior year of college, I'm reading the Gospels. I'm reading Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, and it just radically hits me that I've been a faker. I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm like a pathetic Christian, to be honest with you, because I just took the name of Christ, but I'm not pouring everything I have into this. And so I realized that my paradigm, my view was wrong. 
that I, I, I'm a disciple or nothing. W- what are you? You know, you come to church. That's awesome. I love that. This would be a lonely room without you guys. Um, it'd be a lonely family in the church if we didn't have each other. But, but why are you here? Are you here because you're a Christian? You prayed a prayer? You checked a box? Or are you here because you're a disciple and you're committing yourself 100% to this and you're following Jesus, whatever that means? Jesus didn't call anybody to come and be a Christian. He called people to come and be a disciple. So are you a disciple? Secondly, are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Because by nature, definition, disciples make disciples. So Pastor Kevin and I have been kicking this around, been studying the gospels, Pastor Taylor and I. We've been looking at this and how did Jesus do it and all these things. And this is like my third, fourth generation through this, you know what I mean? But I love it. And we've been able to see some things. This is what a disciple would have been about in the time of Jesus. So a, a disciple is committed to leaving their old ways and following Jesus. You think about that. Those, those, those men and women, they left their old life, life of adultery, life of sin, life of addictions, life of whatever. Uh, some were transformed like leprosy. They left leprosy. That's a good thing, you know. They left um, all that old life, whether it was their business or relationships, and they followed Jesus. That's just how it was. They, I mean, it's not any more picturesque than they just left their boats at the shore and they, they just left. They walked away because I'm following Jesus now. I'm not that old person. I'm a new person. Well, let me ask you this. What have you left to follow Jesus? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a perspective? Is it a position? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? What, have you le- what do you still need to leave? I've been a follower for many, many years. I still need to leave things. Okay? There's still things that attach themselves to my heart that I have to leave. What do you have to leave or what have you left to follow Jesus? That's exactly what the disciples did. Growing like Jesus through submission and obedience. Oh my goodness, you see so many amazing stories of how that worked in the life of the disciples. They had lack of faith, they had faith, they saw Jesus, they they failed Jesus, but they were growing like Jesus because they were submitting themselves to him and obedient to him. What do you have to submit to Jesus today? What act of obedience is Jesus calling you to that you've been putting off? Being transformed by Jesus to become like him. Being transformed means we are changed. You used to look like this. Now you look like this. You know, you used to be a jerk and you're less of a jerk. You know, this is how it used to be in your thinking. Now your thinking is like this. You used to be an angry person. Now you're a peaceful person. You know, you used to be impatient. You know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff. You used to live this way, but now you're, people look at you and go, man, you're different. It's like, yeah, because Jesus has transformed me. That's the life of the disciples. And they became more and more like him. And finally, living out the mission of Jesus by making more disciples. That you're, you're, the whole reason you come to church is so you can make disciples. Maybe you're bringing people that you're discipling. Maybe you're coming so you could go out and make disciples. Regardless, you're doing it. You're making disciples. And you could stand there and you could say, here are some disciples. Here are some disciples. And you're a part of that journey. And if you're doing this, you know that there is no greater joy than making disciples. 
So I was coming home from this, this trip, and it was on Thursday afternoon, and I'm, I'm just coming over Bald Peak, going to go up down at 219 to go home, and I get a text uh, from one of my disciples. He, that's, that's the fact. Led him to Christ, walked him through this process, and um, he says, you got, a, you got a sack? And I'm like, yeah, I'm driving. So I call him, you know. It's like, call this guy. Phone, go, what's up? He goes, I'm driving. I go, I'm driving too. Where are you doing? He goes, I'm going to the hospital. I go, oh, going to the hospital. What's up? Well, my dad. And I know the story and the dad's hard, hard and all this stuff. And he goes, my dad might not make it. And he's on the table. Or he's going to be on the table. And, they, and, and, and so I said, well, what do you need to do? He goes, I need to share the gospel. I go, yeah, yeah. Do you need, what do you need from me? He goes, well, I know this and this. And he quotes some Romans. I go, like, you got everything. He goes, yeah, because I followed Luis last week. I, I, I remember what Luis said. I said, just do what Luis did. Okay. And, um, and, and I said, I'll tell you what, when I get home, I'll send you some verses. I said, how are you going to approach it? I don't know. I said, let's, why don't you do this? And it's come in there and just, you know, come in and it's your dad and hard. And just, just share and just lay it all in the line for him. And I said, okay, can I pray? Yeah, pray for him. So I prayed him for him on the phone. Didn't close my eyes. Prayed for him on the phone. I sent out a text to my prayer partners. I said, Hey, you know, please pray. I got a buddy, blah, blah, blah. Get home, you know, send this little document with all the Romans wrote on it. And I said, now listen, I'm in a meeting from, uh, from two o'clock, to, uh, three o'clock to five o'clock. And so I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I can't answer the phone. You can text me, uh, but I'm in a meeting, you know, with some people. So, so I'm sitting there and the phone buzzes and I'm looking and he goes, success, all caps. And he's not screaming like mad. He's screaming happy. He's like, God is good. I'm like, tell me more, you know? And it's like, I was able to share with my dad in this. And I was like, see, that's why I exist. There's no greater joy than that. I get to share tomorrow uh, with the guy I'm discipling. He's my disciple. I got to lead him to Christ. You know, I got to pray with him. I got to share and answer questions. Long process. And now I'm walking him through transferable concepts. Ten little lessons. We're going to wrap it up. And then I already bought him the book Multiply by Francis Chan. And we're going to start that. And we're going to go through that the next year. Because this guy is now a follower of Jesus. And there, I love to go to those meetings. I don't usually like most meetings, but those are awesome meetings. Now here's my question. Are you a disciple? And are you making disciples? And if you're not making disciples, what are you doing? And if you aren't a disciple, get out of the big circle and get into the real circle. The disciple circle. Don't just pray a prayer. Follow Jesus. He's worth giving everything for. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that as we walk this journey of wrapping up Matthew and seeing these words. God, you know, we've talked about this so many times about making disciples, but may it sink deep in our hearts today. May you drill us down deep in our heart with this question. Are we truly a disciple? And if so, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Are we making more disciples? Are we discipling other people to you? And if not, God, show us we've got everything we need. We've got your word. We've got your spirit. We've got your church. We just need to do it. We just need to step out in faith and say, this is the new purpose of my life. It's to disciple people to Jesus because somebody did it to me. We pray in his name. Amen.